0: life is very different right very different than when we were kids because think about when you came home from school what did you do you didn't go onto the computer or grab your phone to text your friends or play video games and the amount of, I mean, yes, there was lots of candy available, but the amount now of excess that's available is astounding. And it's masqueraded often as healthy, right? You pick up a package and say like gluten-free, organic, right? These code words, high fiber, low fat, you know, that, that we're trained now to think, oh, that's good. Then you look at the back of the label, if you really know, I mean, I think the number one thing that could make a huge difference for kids and parents is if everybody learned how to read a food label.
1: This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. Throughout the pandemic, I was searching for and sharing high-quality resources that mitigated fear. Now, I'm all for taking the responsibility that we need to take, but I also want us to be able to understand the nuance of the situation to be able to contextualize how fearful, how intense we need to, uh, we need to drive our reactions. There's layers of that. How do we protect ourselves as adults? And where do we need to be concerned when it comes to protecting our children? Of all the resources and all the opinions that were available in the online space, when it came to the health of kids and navigation of the pandemic, there was one voice that I turned to most readily and consistently with constant state of confidence. And that was Dr. Elisa Song. And Dr. Elisa Song is an integrative pediatrician and pediatric functional medicine expert practicing out of California. She is a well known voice in the integrative pediatric community. And what she did during the pandemic for me and for others was provide a sound, evidence informed platform and perspective on questions related to risks of the virus. Navigating questions with respect to vaccines, adverse reactions to the virus, long haul concerns related to the virus. And she brought a careful understanding of the science, what she's seeing in the ground as a pediatrician, and what her experience as someone who has come to be able to leverage and acknowledge the body's inherent capacity to heal, someone who could carry and hold all of these different perspectives. Uh, She shared amazing resources. And so over the course of the last year, Dr. Song and I have had multiple opportunities where we have attempted to pull this coming together together. And so we finally were able to sit down for an interview. And I can't imagine that the timing has ever been better. What we were looking to do was have a conversation around whether or not the kids are okay. And while she has a strong opinion and belief that kids are challenged right now, that there is an epidemic of chronic disease, that there are lots of things that we need to acknowledge as parents and as adults and as leaders in our communities. She also provides a great degree of hope and insight. We cover everything in this interview from Dr. Elisa's favorite supplements and supplements she really feels many parents should consider down to how we can look at food. It is an immensely practical inspiring and fun interview. And honestly, I can't wait to introduce you to my friend, Dr. Elisa Song. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thank you
0: so much. I'm so excited to be here. I know we've been talking about this for a while and it is time, so we're going to do it.
1: (laughs) Well, we have been talking about this for a while and I shared with you when I saw you, gosh, I feel like the first time we had this conversation was almost a year ago in August. And I was just sharing with you how you had been such an impactful resource for me throughout the pandemic in terms of the incredible, evidence-informed, like massively informed, information-rich uh, resources that you had been providing. And uh, we'll use that as sort of a stepping ground in terms of where we go and this idea of where do we go from here with kids. But before we do that, I'm wondering, Elisa, can you give my audience a bit of a background in terms of? who you are, and why you're so passionate about the work you're putting into the world for children.
0: Yeah, so I am an integrated pediatrician and a pediatric functional medicine expert. I've been doing this now just a little over 20 years, so I've been at this for a while. <laughs> when I left my pediatric residency at UCSF, this is, I finished in 2000, I knew that I wanted to practice a different way. And so for me, it was all about um, how do we figure out what it really means to help kids thrive uh, and. Conventional medicine wasn't doing service to our kids, even at that time, right? When I left pediatric practice, my residency, and started my practice in 2004, I mean, I was flooded with parents of kids with autism, kids with severe eczema, kids with mental health concerns. Like, what can we do? You know, what else can we do? There's got to be a different way. Uh, and so that's, that's been really my, my life's mission. You know, a lot of people come to functional medicine because they have a personal story. Of maybe they were sick, or maybe—I mean, not know with their kids were sick, or they found you know functional medicine. And that really wasn't my journey. It was really you know, right after residency, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, what did I learn? I, I learned amazing things, right? I learned to put out fires. I learned what it takes to cure a kid of cancer, right? But all of these things were uh, not getting to true prevention. I got into pediatrics because it was supposed to be all about prevention, right? And all about helping our kids thrive that anticipatory guidance. The year after I finished residency, I remember I stumbled upon this flyer, this food is medicine conference. <laughs> uh, and it was at Berkeley. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to check this out because of course we know that nutrition really is a taught in medical school residency. And so I went and my mind was blown. I mean, it was, a, it was a conference that was uh, hosted by James Gordon, and one of the keynote speakers was Mark Hyman. I mean, he was like my foray into, what is this guy? What is he talking about? Oh my gosh, food can do that. <laughs> so, I mean, that just kind of lit a fire under me, and then went into acupuncture and how to use acupuncture for kids, homeopathy, supplements, um, all as a way to integrate, not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but really take the boast of all worlds, knowing that. Conventional medicine has a time and a place. Antibiotics can be life-saving, but at the same time, we know so much more about the impact that antibiotics have on our babies developing gut microbiome and their developing gut-brain connection and they're developing gut-immune system connection. So let's have the benefits of the life-saving forces that conventional medicine can bring, but not use them inappropriately, first of all. And second of all, know how do we mop up that damage so that we can have our kids move on and still thrive?
1: It's so funny you mentioned the nutrition thing because my husband was a conventionally trained physician specializing in pediatrics. I couldn't figure out like when we first got together, the only thing he would ever say to me is you use too much salt. And finally I was like, What is what is your obsession with salt? And he's like, Literally, that is like my entire medical school nutrition education was like, Don't use too much salt and watch your butter. Like that was that was it. The whole experience was right, was right there. And so, you know, I I kind of want to start with that piece because this whole idea of of holistic care is really also about looking at the root cause. If we started by educating physicians in school around the real epigenetic potential of nutrition, do you think that would actually change the trajectory of care or the nature of conversations that are happening in pediatric offices around the country, or it's more than that?
0: I wish I could say yes, and I think yes, right? I mean, really and truly, I mean, when I when I talk to you know my patients, and when I you know when I post on social media about um, how a single course of antibiotics can increase your child's risk of anxiety and depression later on in life by maybe as much as fifty percent, or fifty a- five zero. Or that a single course of antibiotics or antacid medications, when your child is less than six months of age, could increase the risk by four years of age for every single allergic disease, right? Asthma, eczema, anaphylaxis, food allergies. I have my pediatric colleagues and my patients and my friends saying, oh my gosh, why didn't I know this? why didn't I know this? Because then if my three-month-old baby in front of me as a pediatrician needs antibiotics, of course I'm going to give them. But how about mopping up their microbiome because of the epigenetic imprinting that that baby's microbiome has on their future immune health, their future hormone health, their future neuropsychiatric health. And then, I mean, oh my gosh, if we could go back to even before mamas try to get pregnant, right? And understanding, and even dads too, right? Dads are not, you know, are not excluded from this, right? <laughs> the sperm, so the sperm and the egg become epigenetically imprinted. I mean, what's fascinating is that when that baby, when that and egg come together, it, it's already, you know, the epigenetic imprinting has begun. But then when they come together, it's like all of that gets wiped out. It's a clean slate. And then that that mama has an opportunity during that time if they understand the power of getting in their methylated B vitamins, getting in their phytonutrients, getting in their epinutrients, What a profound effect that can have on reducing their baby's risks of all of these lifestyle related diseases, all of what the CDC, the, the WHO, World Health Organization, are calling these non-communicable diseases that are the leading cause of death for us Right? right. And and so I, I say, yes, you know, resoundingly, yes, I, you know, that could change the trajectory of our kids' health. But at the same time, there are so many, you know, pharmaceutical, industrial, agricultural forces that are making it so challenging to change how we eat and how we think about food. So, it, you know, it's, it's this whole cultural shift that has to happen. I mean, you're going to get a kick out of this, you know, uh, as I'm writing my book, I'm doing all this research, and I'm thinking, when did the Western world change? <laughs> you know, when did our uh, our society change in terms of how we eat and how we think about food? And really and truly, we think about, okay, 1950s on, huge rise in diabetes, heart disease, obesity, metabolic syndrome, um, you know, for and chronic disease in adults and kids. Well, what happened in 1953 that was when Swanson invented the TV dinner, right? That changed history. That changed the way we think about food. All of a sudden, these busy moms who were all of a sudden entering the workplace and like, Mom, still, you got to get that home cooked meal on the table. Well, oh my gosh, here's a TV dinner just like home cooked that you can have on the table in 20 minutes. And it, it became such a, an icon in the way we shifted, uh, the way we transformed eating, right? That the Smithsonian Institute, the National. Museum of American History put the, the original tray, this aluminum tray, right, that you baked your food on in the oven, right? Aluminum. Really? I mean, now we know, right? Epigenetically, you know, oh, increased we know. Alzheimer's, yeah. right? um, that it, it has its place there as an icon in American history. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. So let's oh. get back to, you know, what does that mean? Home cooking may not be realistic for every single mama, but we can do more right? When I put my mind to it, it actually often, if I can meal prep on the weekends, it takes me less time than probably, you know, get pulling put together a bunch of packaged foods, but we have to shift our way of thinking about eating.
1: Yeah. And reprioritizing that piece. You know, I feel like one of the most fateful statements I hear when we're sitting, I mean, I've got three kids, like I'm sitting around talking with other moms and we're, t- we're tired collectively. I think I'm speaking for like, us and millions and millions of other women, we resort to this thinking of, you know what, we did that when we were kids and we were okay. I always fight with that because I'm like, actually, I I think we're, I think we're not like, I think, you know, 30% of us here are probably on antidepressants and medications for our thyroid and, you know, dysglycemia and we're, we're carrying extra weight and everyone's drinking wine to manage. I like, I, we're all in therapy. So um, I think that this the notion of like, and we were fine, um, is, is sort of this short term thinking. And I'd love your insight on that in terms of some, you know, strategically as parents, we don't have to be all the things all the time. But I think sometimes we're like, as long as my kid doesn't have an infection and a runny nose, we're doing okay, let's make it through to another day. And this notion of how we set their systems up to mitigate chronic disease when they are older to manage that epigenetic profile. Like this is a conversation I think is so empowering to parents because when we know better, we do better. So what are some of those like no better things you're like, okay, like here are the top five things. I just wish parents just wish parents knew because it would just change their, their thinking that reprioritization in their family life.
0: First thing, because I actually hear that from a lot of grandparents too. Well, you know, I did that, you know, but my kids did that and they're okay. So, you know, of course I want to give my, my grandkids treats, right. And I, you know, my kids love their grandpa because every time they go visit, right. would open the freezer filled with ice cream and, you know, treats and popsicles and, and not necessarily the ones that I might choose, but you know, it's grandpa and right. We, we give a little bit and I am not going to say that I never live out of a package because that's not, a, that's not realistic. We live in a packaged society. So here's the thing. Life is very different, right? Very different than when we were kids. Because think about when you came home from school. What did you do? You didn't go onto the computer or grab your phone to text your friends or play video games. And so it's really, it is very different. And the amount of, I mean, yes, there was lots of candy available, but the amount now of excess that's available is astounding. And it's masqueraded often as healthy, right? You'll pick up a package and say like gluten-free, organic, right? These code words, high fiber, low fat, you know, that, that we're trained now to think, oh, that's good. Then you look at the back of the label if you really know. I mean, I think the number one thing that could make a huge difference for kids and parents is if everybody learned how to read a food label. If everybody knew how to read a food label from a child-friendly, gut microbiome-friendly, brain-friendly standpoint not just, oh, calories and fat, right, which is what, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, that's what it was all about, right, at salt. Um, What can we do? We can talk to our kids about and also educate ourselves about what these, I'm going to call them fake foods, right?
1: They are fake foods. We should just call them fake foods. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is if we can
0: have our kids and parents understand that, you know, these food additives over 3,000 food additives that are fda approved what does that really mean they're fda approved but three thousand to make packaged food taste better look better last longer on the shelves be more addictive i mean that's exactly why they do that right they're, they're training our taste buds to want this sweeter saltier fattier kind of food so if we train our taste buds to go back to understanding what real food is right? And then also understanding the huge rise in the sugar intake. I mean, it's astronomical. Sugar has always been a part of, of, you know, human society from as far, you know, as soon as we became industrialized, it was a treat, right? And, um, And sugar was used in baked goods to enhance flavor. Sweet is something that's ingrained in us to enjoy. Now, I think it was something like 200 years ago, uh, the average human ate maybe two teaspoons of sugar a day. And now the average human eats about 17 teaspoons of sugar a day. And guess who the worst population is? It's kids. Kids on average eat 19 teaspoons of sugar a day. Let's take 19 teaspoons of white sugar, put it on a plate in front of you here you go. Do you want to eat that? I mean, how long would it take to eat that? But it goes down really quickly. And right now for us, because I mean, first of all, the, all the sugar sweet beverages, right? Like this unicorn frappuccinos or the boba tea explosion, you're downing right there. I mean, some of those I've looked at like, oh my gosh, this is like 48 grams of sugar that goes down in about five minutes. Don't even think about it. 48 grams of sugar. That's eight teaspoons of sugar that you just down. So you can see how easy it is to then have that, you know, that Boba tea or that unicorn Frappuccino. And then, you know, we think we're doing good by our kids by getting them that Greek vanilla yogurt, because it's got lots of protein, but you look on the back, it's got 31 grams of sugar per serving. And then you think, oh my gosh, I'm starting my kids day off with six teaspoons of sugar. Right. And so I'm not I'm not blaming any mama. I mean I was that one, I'm like, oh my gosh, Greek yogurt, I'm getting protein in, protein, yay, at breakfast. Right. And then when I finally looked, I didn't even think to look at the food label, bought it at a Whole Foods. It's organic, right? And then one day I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is, because I talked to to my kids, I'm gonna look. And I looked and I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay, so now we buy plain Greek yogurt, we add real fruit. And then we might drizzle a teensy bit of honey on it. Delicious.
1: Yeah, make your own. So, are there, are there forms of sugar that in, in your world as a holistic pediatrician that you're like, yeah, these, these are on my, like, if we're going to do it, they're on my okay list as opposed to the no go sugar list? Yes.
0: I mean, if we're going to do it, eat real sugar, right? Use the white sugar, the brown sugar, the coconut sugar, maple, you know, maple syrup, honey, but keep it in moderation. Right, I do not want kids calorie counting and getting obsessed with counting grams of sugar. But now, you know, in terms of what the the American Health Association and what we know is is probably the upper limit of I'm talking added sugars. I'm not talking fruit, right? I'm talking added sugars in packaged foods. Um, we don't want kids to have more than if they're younger, maybe 12 grams of added sugar, which is three teaspoons, or if they're uh, older kids, 25 grams, right, which is about six teaspoons. So you know, just be mindful of that, pay attention to that. And when we're thinking about, you know, sugar substitutes, because a lot of people now are like, well, what about monk fruit? What about stevia? You know, what about these alternatives, right? I'm not even going to give a thought, a consideration, please do not have artificial sugar substitutes, right? You know, saccharin, uh, you know, sucralose, all of those, those directly can cause gut dysbiosis, which is abnormal bugs in the gut, and can directly trigger your gut to become leaky. So gut dysbiosis and leaky gut are two of the underlying, you know, root causes for virtually all of our chronic diseases in kids. I mean, if we're talking about COVID era, they've even found with MISC, c that multisystem inflammatory syndrome in children, um, they found elevated levels of zonulin in those kids compared to kids who didn't progress to MISC. What's zonulin? Zonulin is a marker for leaky gut. And in fact, a, an experimental medication that's used to treat leaky gut, a pharmaceutical medication, um, was found to be helpful in this one study. What do we know about the gut? We know that when we keep our gut he- healthy and happy, in fact, gut dysregulation um, and Something called endotoxemia, when we have abnormal bugs, can be a predictor for worse sepsis and worse outcomes. So we need to prioritize our gut health. And all of these artificial sugar substitutes, they're called high intensity sweeteners because they're on the orders of magnitude of a hundred times, thousands of times sweeter than cane sugar. We think we're doing good because there's zero calories, right? But when when our taste buds are trained to have the high intensity sweetener, which includes monk and stevia. What researchers have found is that you actually end up eating more and you're not actually losing weight, which is why a lot of adults will choose those high intensity, low calorie, low glycemic sweeteners. It doesn't work. Right. So just have less sugar, <laughs> you know, train, train your taste buds to like, real sugar from fruits, right? The natural sweetness of, you know, oven roasted uh, bell peppers, right? I mean, just train your taste buds, right? And I know, you know, I'm, I, I'm not being flippant. It's, you know, it's it's, it's uh, easier said than done when our culture is so steeped in sugar for our kids and for our adults. But that is, you know, if you could make that, that one move, it would make a profound difference for your kids overall.
1: It's so steeped in sugar. It like, even uh, I'm in Canada, and even when we go to the US, we bring our kids to the US. They comment that all the food tastes sweeter. So if there's like bread in a restaurant, they're like, "Do they put sugar in this?" Like it is, everything is sweeter. So it's you know even like Starbucks drinks, like every it's, there's a different flavor profile, yeah. um, and it, the the sweetness is absolutely profound. And bit by bit, you can you can totally scale back from that you mentioned the microbiome and I want to, I want to talk about that because we can have these superficial conversations around health. we should eat whole foods and, and, you know, how do we prevent infection? And then there's this subcurrent where we're like, okay, if we really like, if we're really interested in talking prevention in, in kids, yeah, we, we, we do need to look at the more nuanced elements of what they eat. And I think having an understanding of this concept of the microbiome is one of these big concepts that I think is really helpful for parents and for individuals with respect to their health, in in general, you know, I I said to you just as we got started, I have a cold today, and I do have a cold, and it's not COVID because I haven't like my immune system is so <laughs> unprimed, and my and my mic, you know, I'm fine with it. I'd rather I'd rather my microbiome have this exposure and this opportunity as we move into the fall. But that level of thinking is not, and that way of thinking is not is not shared by you know the other moms in the park and the people at the dog park who slowly step away from me. <laughs> But let, can we talk about, like, what is the microbiome? Because this is super important, critical stuff for parents to understand about their children's health.
0: It is really important. And I think if we step back and really educated parents, even before they become pregnant, right, during pregnancy, and children all throughout childhood um, and, and adolescence, the idea of who are we trying to keep healthy? Who are we trying to keep happy? We might think, well, of course, us. But who, who are we, right? I mean, what is us, right? You know, we have over 100 trillion bacteria organisms that make up our gut microbiome. It's not just bacteria. Bacteria, yeast parasites, viruses. We have microbiomes, microscopic organisms in and on us. Our skin has its own microbiome. Our breast glands have their own microbiome to to get those good bacteria into our breast milk. Our eyes and our heart have their own microbiome. So, and we have more bacterial cells on and in us than human cells. We have more, many, many more bacterial genes that work for us than human genes. So when we think about what are we trying to nourish, right? You know, we have to keep all of us happy and all of us is not just human, right? We are kind of these symbiotic creatures, you know, and here's the thing, your gut microbiome, a lot of people have heard about the gut-brain connection, you know, the gut-immune system connection, but let's take a look at the gut-brain connection. Um, you know, when your babies are born, It used to be thought that they were born with a clean slate, you know, they're sterile gut, no bugs. Well, that's been called into question because we know that there's some, probably some colonization that's happening even in utero. But I mean, it's relatively clear and we have this opportunity. There's a rapid shift in our gut microbiome between about, from birth to about two and a half years of age. Um, Another rapid shift in our gut microbiome during adolescence, another rapid shifts actually in adulthood, in in the elderly, from about 60s, 70s on. These changes mirror exactly the most rapid times of brain development and change, right? And there is a reason for that because there's this bidirectional communication between the gut and the brain called by something called the vagus nerve, which many of you guys have heard of. But what most people don't realize is that 90% of the communication occurs from your gut to your brain. 90% that way, 10% this way. So who's controlling who, right? And so if we can keep our gut microbiome happy, we know that that reduces the risks of your kids later developing autoimmunity, ADD maybe even autism, anxiety, all, all, you know, we're in a mental health crisis right now. We were in a crisis before the pandemic. The pandemic has brought it more to light. I hope the momentum keeps going because this crisis is not ending. You know, even as a pandemic baby is fizzling down a little bit, this this epidemic of childhood chronic chronic disease and mental health disease is is not I mean, it's, it's, if anything, it's on the rise. So, um, but the gut microbiome plays a pivotal role in that. 90% of all of our neurotransmitters, our brain chemicals, are made by our gut microbiome. Serotonin, that makes us feel happy and calm and relaxed. Dopamine. How many of us as parents have kids who can't sit still, can't pay attention, wiggle in their seats, don't feel comfortable in their bodies, right? Don't just look to, oh, what's stressing them out? You know, what's going on in school? You know, what, why are they having behavioral issues? Look at their gut. You know, the, when they've looked at the gut microbiome of toddlers, they've even found that that's been correlated with um, temperament, maybe even IQ, right? So, you know, and, and, and we have the power. We have the power to shape our kids' microbiomes. Right, we have the power to optimize their gut microbiomes with a little bit of knowledge of understanding what harms their gut microbiome. Right, what do we want to try to keep out? Right, sugar, artificial food dyes, um, uh, heavy metals, glyphosate—that's roundup or pesticides. Knowing that, unless we want to live in an isolated little bubble, they're going to be exposed to those. Right, we can minimize those. Right, but we also want to acknowledge that we're living in the real world. We don't want our kids living in a bubble because that's not good for them either, right? So then what then do we know nourishes our gut microbiome? What can we bring in so that even if they go to grandma's house
1: and maybe they have a package of Skittles,
0: they're okay, right? They're going to be fine. They can bounce
1: back, right? They can take that hit (laughs) into their gut microbiome. Well, that's resilience. That's like physiological resilience, which is part of the goal here. Yeah, yeah, for sure you know as a clinician like i'm i'm really i don't care what you do once or twice a year that no problem i i'm really interested in what you do every day or every week so that repeated exposure what do we do as parents notwithstanding sugar that does have an impact on the microbiome that we should know about and maybe we start with something like antibiotics because that's an inevitable part yes. of rearing a child
0: yeah yeah well you know and and i will say probably one of the most common reasons that children are, are prescribed antibiotics are for ear aches, right? Ear infections. Um, ear aches are the number one reason for a visit to the doctor's, to the pediatrician's office. We know that, you know, maybe about 40% of ear infections are viral. So the antibiotics aren't going to touch that. Maybe another 40% are, are bacterial. Maybe the antibiotics help, but we know a lot of ear infections, even if bacteria will resolve on their own. And then another 20% might be mixed, right? So you know, we, we know, I mean, the, even the American Academy of Pediatrics years ago recognizing that for most healthy kids, most ear infections, even if bacterial, will resolve on their own, right? There's a wait and watch approach, meaning wait, watch and see if it gets worse, then if it gets worse, give your kid antibiotics, okay? But then there's this whole, like, what do you, while you're waiting and watching and your kid's screaming in pain, like, what do I do, right? Well, this is where you really... Going back and, and not even going back, learning more about an integrative approach. What else can we do from an evidence-based standpoint? And reminding you, I'm reminding all of us that evidence-based doesn't just mean what's in the literature. Of course, it includes that, right? But evidence-based also includes the art and science of medicine. It includes clinical experience, right? And so we have centuries of evidence, right? Evidence-based. Based medicine on the power of acupuncture and acupressure, um, homeopathy, herbal medicines, right? Let's go back and, and really understand that those don't hurt the gut microbiome. I mean, some herbs may, right? But those really are more in support of helping a child uh, recover and thrive and, and be able to move on and become more resilient with the next infection. So, learn those tools, which is what I teach to parents, right? I learn to, I teach kids, okay, if you have an ear infection, yes, those garlic herbal eardrops, they can actually work better than your antibiotic, right? Um, for pain, for, for infections, for viral and bacterial infections. Yes, that homeopathic, let's say, ferrofus work over belladonna can really significantly, immediately improve the pain and help resolve the infection. And then while you're waiting and watching, and those two, three days are up, Your kids are probably better and they don't need those antibiotics, right? And so understanding how to maybe have some other strategies. And then if your kids do need antibiotics, understanding how do we do the mop up? Let's restore the gut microbiome right? Because that just one, remember, one antibiotic dose can change, can increase your risk for atopic disease like eczema asthma, can increase risk for neuropsychiatric problems, anxiety, depression, food disorders later on in life. So we want to replete your gut microbiome. We want to transform your gut microbiome back to a healthy one. And it doesn't necessarily mean just sprinkling probiotic supplements on, right? I mean, I mean, I I love my probiotic supplements. I recommend them all the time, but it is not, if you think about it, I mean, I I kind of, uh, I use the analogy of, you know, they're they're not, they're not Jack's magic beans. You can't just throw them on the ground and all of a sudden you have your colonies of of gut microbiome, you know, bacteria flourishing. You need to give them the right ingredients, right? And you need to you need to yeah. take out you know whatever toxins are in the soil and put back in all the good nutrients into the soil, and then your probiotic supplements will flourish. But you know what do we need? It still comes back down to you know let's try to get real food, gut nourishing food back into into your child's diet, which are your fiber, fruits and vegetables, your legumes, your whole grains, reducing reducing the saturated fats, like you know having more healthy fats like omega threes, um, olive oil. It's not rocket science. We were talking offline before we got on. This is not rocket science, but this should be cheered on as, you know, really the the most impactful information that we have. It's got, you know, we're all about now in this modern world. What's the latest you know, research? What's the sexiest new innovation? It's not about new. It's about what works. Right. And going back to, you know, what we know works.
1: Yeah, a hundred a hundred percent for sure. And you know, there's there's always those balance between we we gather it from food and we manage it with with lifestyle. And then there's that there's that time and place as you mentioned with probiotics where we're we're strategically supplementing, notwithstanding the fact that you would not blanketly say, All kids need to be on these things. But are there some some classes and some generalized themes that you do see in terms of preventative supplementation in kids that you that you can comment on? Because I think you know, we're past, I think this conversation is much more nuanced than Flintstone vitamins with red dye number 40. I think, you know what, because again, that's something we do every single day. I'm like, no, like no, no, no vitamins with, with food coloring in them. Are there some classes of things that you can speak to that parents can be aware of? Yes. 100%. Um,
0: I was just looking at this one study. It was, um, let me, let me pull it up. It was a from 2022, um, the CS Mott Children's Hospital Poll on Children's Health. And what was fascinating is that, um, I mean, even for parents who thought that their kids ate a balanced diet, over 50% of them were giving them a multivitamin and giving them supplements, right? So, I mean, supplement, and, and you can see now on the shelves is, I mean,
1: really uh
0: appealing labels to kids right you know that that are and, and you know the explosion of you know these amazing gummy vitamins that taste good right um, and i think you know uh, there are different vehicles for for vitamins that can be great and i'm all for i think gummy vitamins with especially if they're made with let's say grass-fed gelatin no added sugars no artificial colors can be a a really great way to get in supplements. But, you know, what are the areas that I look at? Well, I look at that. What are the areas that that most kids are deficient in? Right. Because, you know, let's face it, you know, even if um, your kids are eating nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day and eating the most varied diet, our food is less nutrient dense anyway. Right. The way we've over Overfarmed our soil and depleted, you know, our soil and our waterways. Um, we need to get back to um, more biodiversity and, and plant crops, and you know that that whole system has to change. Um, the, the the World Health Organization they put out a survey and found that um, twelve plant crops and five animals are responsible for the the almost all of our diet in in our human world. Right, twelve crops we have lost because of the way that we farm. We have lost this agro biodiversity that is shocking, and the vast majority of that—the plant crops that feed us—right, even in indigenous cultures, right, where we're losing a lot of the the, the native, you know, the crops and, and the native wisdom. Uh, the the four crops that feed most of us: corn, rice, wheat, and sugarcane. Right, that's the majority of plants that. Most people in the world are eating, right? I wish it could, I could say it was still remained a largely Western problem, but it's not, right? Um, so you can see why then what we might be deficient <laughs> in a lot of nutrients. So I do focus on, I mean, one of the, the uh, most common deficiencies is going to be vitamin D. Um, there aren't a ton of vitamin D rich foods that are what I would call, I, 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 I cringe to, to use the word kid-friendly because then what, did, what does kid-friendly mean for most people? It means like chicken nuggets and french fries, right? But, you know, eggs, mushrooms, caviar, right? I mean, my kids love to be go and, and I love that
1: you just said caviar.
0: <laughs> right? so
1: great. It's so my good, day.
0: right? Your kids can learn to love it. My daughter, like we fight over the ikura at sushi restaurants, right? Um, but, you know, mushrooms my kids aren't mushroom fans yet, right? So most kids do need a vitamin D supplement also because we're lathering ourselves with sunscreen, um, you know, to try to prevent ourselves from getting sunburned. And a lot of us are indoors, right? Not getting enough outdoor time. So I, I almost all kids, I do believe need a vitamin D supplement to maintain optimal immune resilience and brain resilience.
1: Um, you didn't mention milk.
0: Oh, You got that,
1: right? (laughs) I'm just throwing it out there. I know there's someone driving right now and be like, but what about the 25 glasses of milk I give my kids a day?
0: We don't have milk in our household. We never had milk in our household. Um, You know, we have cultured dairy. We do have some yogurt. We have cheese in our household. I think that could be a healthy way to get in some calcium and fats and protein. Um, But pasteurized milk has, has, Really, very little nutritional value in, in terms of um, the, the processing. You can see, I mean, most milk will say vitamin D fortified. Why? Because the vitamin D has been stripped out. Right? So, um, and and milk in in the processing process uh, is so high in the more inflammatory casein protein, and when we have Chronic health concerns, and I'm not just talking about if your child is really diagnosed with a, a major chronic illness, but you know maybe they have just a little bit of eczema here, or you know just a little bit of sensory issues there. Um, you know, casein is is very highly inflammatory to the gut and to the brain. So I don't do a lot of milk. A lot of people, uh, uh, you know, the 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 whole milk it does a body good. SARS campaign I think to do health a service for our kids, right? Um, milk when you drink. Lots and lots and lots of milk. It also interferes with the absorption of really essential minerals like iron. Um, you know, iron deficiency uh, is is also very common and drinking loads of milk is one of the main culprits if your kids are drinking, you know, like eight, you know, 40 ounces of milk in a day. Right? Um, so I don't look to milk as a, as a vitamin D source for most kids. Omega-3s also, you know, big deficiency for most kids. Um, When we go back to, you know, one of the most healthful diets that we can have as kids, and I don't prescribe a particular diet. I don't want to be, you know, kind of uh, segmented into a particular way of eating, but just thinking of how we want to eat. But a Mediterranean type diet, you know, that's really filled with healthful, fatty fish and all those omega-3s, which, you know, those omega-3s, you know, we think of for brain health and maybe even immune health and heart health. Um, I've just read a paper that, that, uh, that found that omega-3s can actually act as prebiotics too, to feed your gut. So Fascinating, right? Um, so, you know, if we can get in our fatty fish, of course, making sure that it's wild, sustainably caught, we don't want to overfish our seas, making sure that it's low mercury, right? Clear of impurities. Um, but, but, you know, with that, having two servings of fatty fish, so good for us, right? So good for our kids' brains. So important while we're pregnant and, and really nurturing our babies' developing brains. But most kids need an omega-3 supplement. So then looking for a high-quality fish oil um, that, again, is also everything I said, you know, from sustainably caught fish, you know, um, uh, low mercury, um, low, low contaminants, and, um, you know, really clean. Um, And then the other two uh, deficiencies, so you could do a multivitamin, you know, many kids would actually benefit from a high quality multivitamin. In fact, a study of kids with ADD found that they use a very high quality multivitamin and across the board, these kids had major benefits on their behaviors and their attention. Um, But the two other minerals that are um, tend to be deficient in in many, many kids who are insufficient, you know, get your blood work. Doctor says it's normal. You look at it's Ooh, it's like skirting the bottom that's insufficient right you know, it is not optimal but zinc and magnesium okay so those two now for zinc i see zinc insufficiency in so many kids so here's some clues if you're listening as a healthcare practitioner when when might you want to check your child's red blood cell zinc your patients or or recommend trying a zinc supplement or as a as mom listening as a parent um kids who have picky eating right? Taste preferences. Low zinc actually impacts how you taste food mm. um, and can lower your appetite. So anyone with a picky eater, so before you even try you know, winning that battle, you're not going to win food battles with your kid, right? So before you try, maybe try a zinc supplement, find a tasty zinc supplement, give that a go. And a lot of times kids' palates will improve. Kids who have sensory issues, can't stand loud sounds parents can't run the blender or the vacuum while the kids are in their home they, they only they have to cut off the tags on every shirt shoes are, are never quite the right fit never wear jeans only soft silky pants um those kids often have to need more zinc um, kids who get sick a lot zinc is really important for immune defense as we've seen with covid how important zinc can be for proper immune support um, and also um you know, anxiety, depression, zinc can impact our NMDA receptors and, uh, and really help support healthy uh, neurotransmitter processing. Magnesium is so important for, for so many enzyme processes in our body, but here's clues that your child might need a little bit more magnesium. If they have anxiety, if they have trouble sleeping, if they have constipation, if they get headaches, um, if they, uh, you know, can't manage their worries, right? All of these are signs. That magnesium, you know, your teenagers really bad menstrual cramps, right? Um, right. Really bad PMS. Magnesium often plays a role, so we want to make sure that we're supporting those. But very often, I find for kids, omega three, vitamin D supplementation, and then either separate vitamin or uh, zinc or magnesium supplementation, or see if you can get enough from your multi. But oftentimes, multis because they're a multivitamin, they have low ish doses of most vitamins so if your kids are having these ish sensory issues or immune issues or uh, mood issues and you probably need a little bit more
1: this is amazing and I you know there's one there's one last area and like the zinc piece was was gold I love that I love zinc like that's one of those anyways it's it's in our we have all, all of our supplements our categories by function in our cupboard and zinc is like forefront on that immune piece um and speaking of that immune, that immune element. This is, this is something I opened with. And I shared that, you know, you had been a resource for me throughout the pandemic and so many others. I I shared your resources, uh, widely because they were, they were so, they were so balanced in their perspective. And I feel as though immune health is something all parents and all of all global citizens are keenly aware of in terms of conversation just just really quickly, I'd love your perspective as we you know, transition through summer and we're getting that vitamin D and outside and doing the things we need to do and move back into the fall. Are there some key elements of immune health that you would just love to pull parents awareness towards things that they can be doing um, and probably a lot of what you've already talked about speaks to that? Um, that you'd love for them to be aware of as we transition into another season of Immune Conversations. Sure,
0: and you know, if the pandemic has taught us anything is that we cannot predict where we're going to be at in two months. It's just what it is, right? Um, you know, there was all this concern. I don't want to call it hysteria, but on some level, it's been hysteria, right, from the from the beginning. And, and some of it not unfounded, right? Because I, I mean, if you put yourself back in, you know, winter, February, March of 2020. Just, I mean, take a moment and think about what you were doing when, when life shut down, right? And the fear, I had that fear, the fear, right? I mean, it. nobody knew what on earth is going on. You know, as parents, we had no idea what COVID was gonna be like for our kids, right? We had no, in, in everyone's minds, COVID was gonna be worse for kids. Right, you know, if it was like any other infectious disease, our kids—everyone's biggest get, fear, yeah—our kids were going to get slammed, and we had to protect our kids and keep them away. And you know, that fear gripped us. For the most part, it still is gripping a lot of us, right? You know, even as as life has opened up a little bit, you know, we have this sort of this this PTSD from that fear that we lived in for, you know, now it's been you know over two and a half years, um, and we need to be able to let go of that before we can really move on, right? And not be flippant, you know, not about COVID, not say, oh, it's not real, that it's not serious for some, that it can be, you know, that it can be devastating for some. Um, But we are in a different place. So summer of 2022, we are not where we were in February of 2020. Um, Summer of 2022, we know so much more about, you know, how COVID impacts children. On a much less significant level than we thought it would, thankfully, right? Um, we also, you know, and Omicron has changed the face of the pandemic. What we knew even in November of 2021 is not what we know now, right? And we know that, you know, as life opens up and, you know, as Omicron really seems to be getting, I mean, pretty much everybody, right? I mean, just I mean, regardless of vaccination, booster, status, whatever it is, right? I mean, now we want to move forward and then realize, okay, you know, we probably will get it at some point if we haven't already, right? So what is going to make us feel comfortable and safe sending our kids out to summer camp, you know, on an airplane, back to school, right? Um, and and really then
1: building in,
0: layering in those foundations of resilience. And these are all things that, again, they're not rocket science. But, you know, when we go back to, let's just go back to food, right? Sugar, refined sugar, right? Not even, yeah, glucose, right? Um, Within about 20 20 minutes of consuming sugar, it reduces your white blood cells capacity, something called your macrophages, to engulf and, and eat up viruses and bacteria. Right by fifty percent, and that effect can last for you know up to five hours. Right, so just you know how to just reduce the sugar, right? You know, and and, and be mindful of that. Right, um, we know that sleep is so restorative. Right, we know movement is so restorative, and you know one of the things that is so important as we head into school is thinking about how are we going to help our kids and help ourselves. Uh, manage the s- psychological stress of going back, right into whatever winter fall surge. You know now people are talking about, right? The the flu, COVID, pan- demic never panned out last winter. I don't know if it's going to pan out this winter, but we have to just enter with a little bit of calm. And you can only be calm if you have knowledge, right? You can only be calm if you know that you're doing everything you can and that those things make a difference. Um, and so when we think about managing our stress and our, our worries, that is, I would say, one of the number one things that we have to prioritize is figuring out. We know that this mental health you know, epidemic, um, you know, back, I remember when, when um, you know, the initial... Um, COVID vaccines for five to 11-year-olds was was being discussed at the FDA level. And there was a slide, you know, that one of the CDC physicians put up saying that, you know, if we were back in 2019, the number of kids who died from COVID, that would be the, the eighth leading cause of death, okay? And I think it was maybe 68 kids, right? So that was, oh my gosh, top 10 cause of death for young children, right? So then I took a look and I said, well, what are the
1: other causes,
0: right? I just, I was curious, right? The eighth leading cause of death in 2018 for five to 11 year olds was suicide, right? Suicide. Well, why isn't that being shouted out, right? Why isn't that like, oh my gosh, what are we doing, right? And so this mental health, I mean, I want parents and kids to understand psychological stress puts us, creates as us much inflammation in our bodies, As in any infection or physical stress, right? And so we need to help our kids understand how to manage that. And that doesn't mean avoiding stress. It doesn't mean ignoring it. It doesn't mean trying to pretend like it's not there. It means having the tools, whether they're cognitive behavioral tools, you know, a friend to talk to, mindfulness, practicing your breathing app or meditation app. It means tools to address that worry (laughs) and resolve it, right? Not avoid it. Avoidance is going to make things worse. So, and all of these, like I said, I mean, they're not, they're not rocket science, but they make a difference. So I think just having parents understand that and make it a priority, a higher priority than you know, really any medication I can prescribe, more than any supplement I can prescribe. Focus on the foundations and then supplement what you need and then trust.
1: Trust, it also means we're gonna to have to do a second episode where we talk about that mental health crisis and kids and the things that we can be doing about it. At least I feel like this is a perfect place to transition to something I call our impact ingredients. And the intention here is that these are like rapid fire opportunities to get a little bit more insight uh, in terms of who you are. And so my first question here is, what kind of weird skill or talent do you have that we might not otherwise know about? Oh my gosh A weird
0: skill or talent let's see. I mean, I wish I could say my daughter's little tongue twisting talent, but I <laughs> i guess I would say I, I am hyper flexible. So I can still, you know, even at 52, bend up into a little pretzel. So <laughs> I can flip, flop my legs over. i mean, good or bad. Right. But
1: <laughs> I guess that okay, that's that now. is pretty amazing. Actually <laughs> mobility is like the one thing as I get older, I'm like must preserve yeah, mobility yeah. and flexibility. What's a non-negotiable for you in your life? You
0: know, a non-negotiable for me is a morning hug with my kids, right? That is non-negotiable. Even if my kids don't necessarily feel like it, I let them know this is how we need to start the morning, right? (laughs) I mean, what do they say? Like 20 seconds, right? That's enough to release your endorphins. But starting the morning off, I I didn't even mention the physical touch, right? I mean, they found that, um, you know, um, love and connection and physical touch so important even for the gut microbiome, right? Like rat mamas who lick their pups and groom them. So those baby pups had healthier gut microbiome. So I'm not saying lick your kids, but sometimes I say <laughs> But hug your kids, right? That That is a non-negotiable, the touch, right? We just need that.
1: I love that. Entrepreneurship, are we born this way or do we learn to become entrepreneurs?
0: I think it's both. I think it's both. But I think that anyone can learn to become an entrepreneur. Right. I think that, you know, some of us just even you can tell you from childhood, just have maybe a little kind of um, solve it mentality, kind of take things apart, put them back together. Amazing. Right. But we can all learn how to have a growth, entrepreneurial um,
1: money, you know,
0: mind mindset that really serves us. So that absolutely can be learned.
1: And last question for you. What do you want your legacy of impact to be?
0: I've thought about this a lot, right? Because, you know, as I'm writing my book, this this is, I, I don't have 10,000 books in me. This is the book I want as a legacy for my own children, for my grandchildren, right? Um, the legacy that really small shifts make big changes. And we need to go from a pre- not just a prevention mindset. We have to go from prevention to a thriving mindset. And we already know how to do that, right? That is the legacy. We know how to do that just go back to it. So it's really, it's, it's as simple as that, right? Simple isn't always easy, but we know. So let's really work together to get our kids thriving.
1: Amazing. Dr. Elisa Song, filled with so much information and wisdom. I adore you and value you so much in the information you put out to us as, as colleagues and as, as parents, where can we send people to have access to everything you're putting out into the world?
0: Uh, The best place is going to be my blog, my website, which is HealthyKidsHappyKids.com. And then if you guys do social media, like the majority of us, (laughs) Uh, you can find me on Instagram, which is HealthyKids underscore HappyKids. And then on Facebook, you can search just search for HealthyKidsHappyKids. That handle is Dr. Alisa Song, MD.
1: Amazing. And we will hook everybody up with all of these things. You can find those at MeganWalker.com forward slash podcast. Dr. Elisa, thank you for being here.
0: Oh, thanks Megan. I loved being here. I love seeing your gorgeous face and I hope that you have a beautiful rest of the summer and enjoy your time with the girls.
1: Thank you, friend. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.